well, well. Shopping for a car? Yep. Carvana made financing a car as smooth as can be. Oh, yeah? I got pre-qualified instantly and had real terms personalized just for me. Hmm. Doesn't get much smoother than that. Well, I got to browse thousands of car options on Carvana, all within my budget. Doesn't get much smoother than that. It does. I actually wanted a car that seemed out of my range, but I was able to add a cosigner and found my dream car. It doesn't get much... Oh, it gets smoother. It's getting delivered tomorrow. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. You enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Kimberly Reed about strengthening our commitment to creating a more diverse workplace. Kimberly Reed, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hello, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. This is great. (laughs) It is a pleasure, and I like the energy. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about strengthening our commitment to creating a more diverse workplace, and I'm just really thrilled to have the chance to talk with you. You're joining us from New Jersey. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And uh, you have a lot of expertise in this area, so it's going to be a fun conversation. As we get started, I wanted to share Kimberly's bio with everybody. Kimberly Reed is an award-winning international speaker, author, corporate trainer, and diversity, equality, and inclusion executive. With more than 20 years in HR, talent recruitment acquisition, diversity, equality, and inclusion expertise, Kimberly has successfully countermanded inadequate and or trouble. uh troublous diversity practices by designing, building, leading, and shaping dynamic, high-performing work cultures. She is founder and CEO of Redevelopment Group, a cutting-edge, multidisciplined diversity, equality, and inclusion solutions firm. She's the author of Optimists Always Win, Moving from Defeat to Life's C-Suite. Fantastic background. It's a pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to share with me or my listeners by way of your background before we dive on in? No, I want to, well, you know what? I, I just lied. <laughs> One of the things I do want to share uh, about the book it, that is um, so important to, so important to me. Um, 100% of the proceeds uh, are going to two cancer charities. So the more books we sell, the more people we bless. So it, yes, Optimists Always Win is on Amazon and where all books are sold. So thank you so much, John, for mentioning that. Um, and I just, and I love my work. I love what we are blessed to do every single day to really just make diversity, equality, inclusion, and belonging a better place 
in in company in some of today's leading companies and in companies all over the world. And actually, I wanted to start because oftentimes when we when we talk about DEI initiatives, a lot of people frame those that acronym uh, as diversity equity and inclusion, you very specifically diverge from that and call it diversity, equality, and inclusion. Maybe just speak to that for a moment. Sure. So, you know, and and things have changed since then too, because it it is, we have a another focus in in belonging. So, so John, it's diversity, equality, inclusion, and belonging for us. What I will say is that why many companies are not successful in this space is because they forget a very important part of the formula, and that is belonging. For That means the B. The reason why we transition from equity to equality is the feel of the word. Equity to us and to many of our clients felt very money-driven right? Very, if you hire more, more people of color, there's going to be something affected by the dollar. And that, that didn't feel good for, for a lot of people, and especially in conversations about, about equity. Although that's not what equi- the definition of equity is, but it, that's what it felt like in a lot of conversations we were having, specifically after the, after the unfortunate murders of George Floyd and countless others. So one of the things that we said is that, and I've always felt this way, even in my corporate career in diversity, is that equality is the goal. We want equality in the workplace for all people, right? Yes, diversity focuses on women and people of color. However, we also want to be inclusive in our work and to ensure that there is equality for all. That's why we're so intentional, John, about putting, oh, you can't see it here really, a little bit, uh, uh, equality in the work that we do um, and, and, why we, and why we do it, quite frankly. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. That's, that's interesting uh, to, to see that difference uh, and, and you have you know, good reasons for that. Um, let's talk now about how HR leaders can help their organizations strengthen that commitment to creating a more diverse workplace. So, I mean, the rhetoric is increasingly there. I I think just from a PR standpoint, most organizations nowadays recognize that they better say something in response to like the George Floyd incident or, or some of these other, you know, social disruptions that happen um, that people are upset about organizations recognize, okay, we, we probably need to address this in some way. We probably need to at least on the face of it, look like we are striving to be an inclusive company, so on and so forth. So the rhetoric is, is getting there. The problem mm-hmm. is in, in my view, we're, we're often not walking the walk. So we're, we're saying nice things, but we're not actually doing the things that need to happen in order to actually drive change and to disrupt the, the uh, systems of inequity and inequality and to really create a, a level playing field, uh, one that's inclusive for everyone. So what, you know, if I'm an HR leader or, you know, a leader in an organization doing HR things, what can I do to help st- the organization strengthen that commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? That's a, that's a great question, John. And I will tell you that there's a flurry of new DEIB imperatives, right? That have ranged from symbolic to systemic. 
and creating <clears throat> an inclusive culture is very important to the success of DEIB efforts and will benefit engagement, innovation, and productivity. And I think that CEOs, HR leaders, leaders are understanding that fact better, right? Just because of the heightened awareness that we have in this space, right? Um, whether it was ignited, which I, I believe that it was stronger, it was ignited after the murders of, of George Floyd and countless others, of course, but diversity has always been important. Diversity has always and should be a business imperative. Right. I'm not suggesting that to connect money to it or people's, you know, or executive comp, because we, we've had conversations about that all the time. But what I am saying is that I think that every executive. HR leader needs to evaluate their executive team. Do they portray. D E I B. See. The makeup of your executive team is a huge signifier, right, to the rest of your workforce, not to mention our stakeholders, customers, partners, et cetera, the board, right? And it's, it's, it's because at top, and, and, and it's the top management of a company that speaks volumes, John, about the culture, Right. So to foster a company culture where every voice is welcome, heard and respected, we need to understand how what does the company and what does that senior leader, because it starts a lot from the top, but it but the work gets done in the middle. We could talk about that, too. But is that what is what what is it portraying? What is the culture? HR leaders, you, you have to assess and have to understand what that is before you can venture in this work. That's why, John, we, we don't touch a client without doing a DEIB organizational assessment. If they don't agree to that, that's okay, right? We're not the firm for them. But what happens with HR leaders, going back to my point, is that most often Employees quit jobs because they don't feel like they can bring their authentic self to work and uniquenesses are not appreciated and valued. John, but we learned so much, right? Because, you know, people initially, and, and, and this is going to sound like a total oxymoron, the great resignation was a good thing. It really shook companies up to understand why people leave, why people stay. And right now, why people don't want to go back inside, right? Because now we're having, you know, now COVID is still here and alive and well, but companies are now saying it's time to go back. It's time, no more hybrid, no more virtual. We're going back inside. So I think, I think it's a multi-pronged pro approach. And to kind of summarize, John, it is really looking at diversity and what does your company and your executive leadership portray, one. Two, it is about culture. What is the culture of the organization, right? And do you, do you recruit and attract, I know we're going to talk about that, more people on to, on to, in a culture that perhaps needs some development? some information, um, some, some engagement, some innovation, right? Or, or some form of kind of 
revitalization of sorts, right? So, you know, so I, I think that it, it's very important that, fi- lastly, that HR leaders, CEOs, they have to identify DEIB as a strategic priority. If it is not a strategic priority, John, this work is pointless. Or to hire a us or a, any consultant to help them move, move forward, it, it, it's, it's a waste of investment because it has to be a strategic priority in order for it to thrive. There we go. Uh, I completely agree. Uh, and it's, it's so frustrating, you know, again, when you see the lip service or maybe uh, the, uh, an organization brings in a consultant and they, they craft the language, um, I, you know, I'm a believer in the power of language. And so crafting a good, compelling, inclusive language is important, but if that's, you know, what, where it stops and that's where it is, that does stop for a lot of organizations, then nothing's ever going to happen. And you can hold, you can hold a big retreat and a meeting and have conversations and that might move the needle for a moment, but if it's not sustained and you just have that meeting and then you get back to business as usual, nothing's going to change. And you mentioned, for example, the, the composition of the board, the composition of the C-suite. These are the high profile positions that everyone looks to. And that reflects on the, the organization's commitment to diversity equality, inclusion, and belonging. And you can say all the right things, but then if you have a bunch of middle-aged white dudes on your board or in the C-suite, you know, that says something else. And people are going to pay attention more to what you do than what you say, especially if the two are inconsistent. So the next question, you kind of already started to segue into this, but um, how do we go about then recruiting and attracting more diverse talent, especially if we're in the challenging position right now of not having a lot of diversity. It can be really challenging to, to bring in good, high-quality, d- diverse mm-hmm. candidates mm-hmm. when they don't see themselves in the organization. So how do we start that process to, to start the pipeline and to reshape the way our organization looks? Well, I'm so glad that you asked that, Jonathan, because there's now there's this, you know, so a couple of things. There was never a war on talent diverse talent. We heard that cliche before. There there was never. I know pockets in droves of talented, diverse talent. Top diverse talent. They dwell in my sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority, right? They dwell in my volunteer women's organization called The Links Incorporated, right? And, and, And the reason why I brought those two up specifically, because you're talking about women and then women of color, right? For example, There are 300,000 women that belong to Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated across the globe. We have chapters all over the country, but you cannot identify diverse talent. That's the pushback, right? And I used to be a retired, I'm a retired recruiter, right? And talent leader. So I understand that recruiters are burnt out. Hiring managers, they wait till the 11th hour, and then they want to add diversity to the slate, all of that. I, 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 want to, I want to set that stage, Jonathan, because I'm not pointing fingers, but the reality is we've got to do better, right? So there's strengthening diversity in the workplace really means helping interviewers and hiring managers understand common biases that may influence their hiring decisions, right? Because People, and I'm, I'm kind of working backwards a little bit because recruiters can bring talent to the table, no question. 
But when the talent gets to the table to be interviewed, they hit a brick wall because we're not equipping our hiring parties, managers, people who see this talent, right, to for them to ask the right questions or they're influenced by their by their by their biases as well. So there's a couple of ways, though, to recruit for a diverse workplace when you have assembled and when you have educated the interviewers and hiring managers, right? So I'm saying this is subsequent to that step. You've got to go where the people are. A lot of times I used to tell recruiters, we, we actually, John, we have, uh, it's called the Diversity Recruiters Innovation Bootcamp. So that's one of our services that we provide to organizations. And it's not a sell tactic. My, my point is, it's, it's been very requested, right? Because companies are looking for this secret sauce of how to identify talent. So a few things, though, is a part of, are a part of the secret sauce. I can't give away all the secrets. But one is you have to, you know, go again, go where the people are. So, for example, if you are in Washington, D.C., and you have an office in Washington, D.C., and you have a, a strong accounting need, Howard University is a historically Black college and university, which is also called an HBCU. You should be tapped in for campus recruiting, for executive recruiting and experienced higher recruiting. You should be tapped into their alumni network. They have over 80,000. They're one of the largest alumni networks in the country for an HBCU. So you have to also review your job requirements. What are the job requirements? A lot of times when we start attracting folks, like I just, just gave the example from Howard, right? And we have these jobs because we go to the job fairs, we go to, we have these sessions and we have the job requirements in front of us. However, they don't speak to the role itself. I'm not saying speaking to the person, but we, we don't have a good sense of what the what the role is or what the trajectory is or what is, what is the rhyme or reason to this role. And diverse talent, this is proven, and this is also driven by research. They want to feel not only that there is, they want to, there's a success blueprint, but they want to feel valued. And if your job requirements are not clear and you're hiring a person, any person, but specifically of color, how can that person win if the job requirements are unclear? Also, you have to reflect diversity at all stages of the recruitment process. It cannot be, John, in the beginning, we're going to go to, we're going to focus on diversity and we're going to attract diverse talent. But it has to be it has to be representative of each part of the process from hiring. Right. From, you know, so it, it has to be it has to be very focused and has to be very deliberate and intentional. Your recruitment practices and processes. But more importantly, it has to be seen. And so a lot of times when diversity isn't seen in organizations or seen in the recruitment process, oftentimes you, 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 you're not successful. 
The other piece to it is that diversity is inward. Diversity and inclusion is outward. What do I mean by that? Diversity is in our companies, right? When we start to hire inclusion, people, your people, talent has to see an inclusive culture and workplace. When I click on your website as someone that I'm looking for a job and I see zero representation of me or your customer or yours or, or the board or stakeholders, whomever, why would I want to go to that company? See, you have to consider standardizing not only your recruitment stuff, processes, interview questions, that's all good. But the entry, what does the entryway to your company look and feel like? So you have to be willing, and we say this to our customers all the time, you got to be willing to throw your existing strategy out the window if it's not working. Stop trying to, okay, maybe we'll go to this school differently. No, you have to develop also an employer brand that showcases your diversity. So to, you know, so, so to, to recap in the sense of what I would tell three things, you gotta look at your interviewer, the interviewers, right? Because that's, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the, that's the one of the entryways into the, into the organization. Is your culture ready for it? You have to ask yourself simultaneously with number one. Two, you have to go where the people are, period. Recruiters have to be more innovative, more creative. Leverage LinkedIn, for example. I know that people say, oh, God, no, no. LinkedIn is one of the best places where you can get the talent that you're looking for because you know the caliber of the talent, right? And and, uh, nine times out of 10, you know the, the, the caliber of the talent. What I also would say, you have to, going back, you have to go where the diverse talent is. HBCUs, alumni associations, traditional organ, um, colleges. For example, Temple University in Philadelphia, just using that as an example, they have a wonderful, not only alumni, but they have many different chapters of NABA, of the National Black MBA, HAKU, which is Hispanic MBA, right? They have all of these great chapters, but we don't tap into them, John, because we're not looking for them. So we just have, we have to do a better job. And I'll, I'll just add to that. I think those are some really great strategies as we go through the recruitment process, the hiring process, and really integrating DEIB into the systems, the policies, practices, procedure, the culture of the organization. So all that's super important. Uh, just one other quick comment on that. Uh, if you're looking to um, hire a diverse team, and let's say you're in a locate, your headquarters is in a location that, you know, the, there's not a ton of diversity in the, the local population. Does that mean, you know, that it's still fine for you to just have mostly like straight cisgender white dudes in your organization? No. I mean, the answer should be no. And the last couple of years have taught us many things. But one of the things it's taught us is that remote work works for a lot of people. And so if we j- break down the geographical barriers uh, to hiring and recognize that, you know, there are going to be great people, good talent, diverse talent yes. uh, that may not be in our metropolitan area, that may not be in, in commuting proximity. And maybe we want an all-in-person workplace or a hybrid workplace, I, but I would challenge you to think, you know, there's lots of benefits to flexible remote work arrangements. One of, of the huge benefits is the potential for increased DEIB 
strategy and effort. So I'll just throw that out there as another thing to noodle on and yeah, to really great. contemplate. Yeah. And I'm glad that you said that because I would love to, I have a great, so a great example. I have a client in Kansas city. So it's, it's tough because in Kansas city, a, a lot of students don't want, or a lot of interns, for example, because you also need to think about that because you can, if you hire folks from funnels of intern programs. So for example, inroads is one of, I am an inroads alum. It is for, it is for people of color, uh, young people in high school, you start in high school, you have, you know, the, you, your honor student, or, you know, they, there's, there's, you're a bright star, right. And you're, you're part of this, you're part of this organization throughout until you graduate college. So guess who was the recruiter recruiting us from inroads? PricewaterhouseCoopers, right? Um, then you had the Deloitte's of the world. The reason why I bring that up is because you have to, you have sometimes you have to go back back a bit to get to the to get to where you were just talking about. And with my client, one of the things that we are going to do is we're going to have a, we're going to start a really robust internship program for next year because you know, you, you want to get some of those students that are graduating college yeah. and, you know, moving home. Right. And, and it's, but they're moving home to find a job. Oh, well come, come work here and we pay well. So, uh, so also too, John, I think it's creating this robust mentorship program too. You've got to create a robust mentorship program inside your organization for organizations that are, have, a, that are in a tough demographic that perhaps it's, it's not, doesn't mean that they can't be successful. It just means that they have to dial up their creativity a little bit. Yeah. All great points, Kimberly. It's been a real pleasure. I know at the time I'm going to have to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap up, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you and where they can find your book and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. So I, um, uh, you can reach me. My, our website is www.theredevelopmentgroup.com. Um, we also have Optimus Always Win is available on Amazon. We also have a really great, cool website, uh, Amazon, excuse me, www.optimusalwayswin.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm real simple with my, uh, with my social media handles. It's Kimberly S. Reed, all social media handles. And the final thing that I will say, and what I say, John, to every client that comes to us for the first time, be kind to yourselves. Right. I know that's not anything deep or very, you know, or, or, or academically driven. Right. But it is you have to be kind to yourselves in this work because it is a journey. Right. But you also have to be real with yourself. Every company, when you're venturing into this work or if you're in the middle of the work and you're revitalizing your strategy, make sure that you align yourselves if you need a consultant with a consultant that is certified, globally certified in diversity and can help you with your DEIB organizational assessment. That is the most important ingredient in any part of this work that you'll ever achieve. And the way to be successful is to understand fully where you are, where you are today. Remember, Business executives, all of us, all over the world, the pandemic is proving to be one of the greatest leadership tests of our time. Diversity is hard, yes, 
but to integrate diversity for the ultimate goal for DEIB to be in the DNA of your organization, you will win. I love it. Thank you, Kimberly. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Kimberly and her team can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Discover the unparalleled beauty of Kanab, Utah, the heart of the parks, and the ultimate base camp for your national park adventures. Kanab, Utah offers easy access to not one, not two, but three of America's most iconic national parks. Explore the majestic Grand Canyon, hike the stunning trails of Zion, and witness the awe-inspiring landscapes of Bryce Canyon. All just a stone's throw away from Kanab. But Kanab is more than just a gateway. Locals call it the Little Hollywood. It's a charming town with a vibrant community. So whether you're an outdoor enthusiast, a nature lover, or a curious traveler, Kanab welcomes you to make unforgettable memories in the heart of the parks. Plan your journey to Kanab today at visitkanabutah.com. Your gateway to endless adventures starts here. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today.